Jam Session is a podcast where two guys who grew up in Dallas-Fort Worth discuss sports, craft beer, life, and their experiences living in one of America's most vibrant cities. If you love sports, you're going to love this show. If you love craft beer or you're curious about it, you'll love this show. Great conversations with good friends is what Jam Session is all about. Welcome. It's nice to have you here. I hope you enjoy it. I think you will. You're listening to the Jam Session Podcast. I was told that I could listen to the radio at a reasonable volume. With Cowboys insider... What's your name? Jean-Jacques Taylor. That's my name. Radio personality and craft beer expert, Matt McLaren. He's a very strange young man. He's an idiot. Comes from upbringing. And now, the Jam Session Podcast. It is indeed Jam Session. Subscribe, rate, review, hang out with us for a while right here on the Jam Session Podcast. Sponsored, as always, by Greening Law. A personal injury law firm in Dallas, Texas, Greening Law fights the legal battle so you have time for healing and renewal. But right now, the moment we've all been awaiting has arrived. Ladies and gentlemen, the radio, the TV, the podcast star, the sexy Jean-Jacques Taylor. What up, though? I would be the non-sexy one, Matt McLaren, and this is Jam Session, the podcast version 230, asking simply that you prepare to be dazzled. If not entertained. We record this on a lovely Easter Sunday. Many of you will be listening to this in the days to come. A lot to get into. The Cowboys, they are never without drama, so we will dive into that. We've got a trip around the block. The Mavs, got a lot of thoughts on the Mavs. And I will share with you my USFL experience as the new spring football league is well underway. But before we dive into all that, Greening Law. It was a week ago, I got a text from one of my very good friends, sent pictures of his car accident. I was like, holy crap, hopefully everybody is okay and you guys can move forward. But at some point after that car accident and your mind starts to calm down a little bit, you realize, my God, I I need some help here. I need somebody who's fighting for me. And that's why you need Robert Greening. The Green Team, the attorneys at Greening Law, they will be your fierce legal competitor against the insurance companies. No, they fight for you, man. They've been doing it for a long time. They're really good at it. And the thing about the Dream Team is it doesn't take anything to pick up the phone and give them a call and say, hey, here's my situation. What do you think? And they'll tell you after the call. And there's no there's no cost with the call. It's just pick up the phone and call and say, hey, here's my deal. What do you think? And then when they give you the when they bring you on as a client, it's a great day for you because they will grind for you. They'll work for you. They'll answer questions. They'll answer questions you didn't know were supposed to be asked. They provide, I think it's a, it's a comforting thing, I think Matt would tell you. It's just stuff that you don't have to worry about. That's why they're good at what they do and what they do, and that's why you should give them a call. Yeah, and the consultation's free. You just pick up the phone, you give them a call, find out, do you have a case? And if you do, they'll work for you. 972-934-8900, 972-934-8900, Robert Greening, Offices, Dallas, Texas. So the Cowboys, as we approach, obviously, many of you listening to this on Monday the 18th, which means we are about 10 days away from the first round of the NFL draft coming up on April 28th. But before we get into some thoughts about the draft, Kelvin Joseph, who, of course, we barely even saw last year as a rookie, their second round pick in the 2021 NFL draft. Well, he was in a weird situation over the course of the weekend, and really a lot of this stuff started to come out on Friday. He apparently 
was the passenger in an SUV that participated in a drive-by shooting in Dallas off of Greenville Avenue and ended up killing a 20-year-old dude by the name of Cameron Ray. Now, over the weekend, police arrested Aries Jones and Tivian English, who are both in their 20s, and even Joseph's attorney is saying that, yes, Joseph was a passenger in the vehicle from the gunshots that were fired that killed a man, and this is, I guess the incident happened last month in March, but that Joseph was not the shooter, and Joseph has not been arrested, though he was questioned by police. Yeah, man. So, uh, and the, the thing for him is, you know, in Texas, they've got this law where if, if another felony is committed during a felony, well, then whether you were participating in both of those or not, you can get got. Mm. And uh, you can be prosecuted, charged and prosecuted and all of that. And so I think that was the big concern for him is, you know, am I going to get hit with that law? Um, and, and, and the fact that, um, you know, he hadn't talked to the police yet. Uh, I don't think anybody finds it ironic that he talked to the police on one day and then the next day these two guys are arrested. Yeah. In addition to some other guys who had already been arrested and charged. Um, so uh, we'll, we'll see where it goes from here, but it's certainly not a good look for him. And, um, you know, man, it's a uh, hey, cornerback's not need. Yeah, I would say so, man. And, you know, again, this is so apparently the in, the original incident took place on March 18th. So literally a month ago. And they're just now finding out, I guess, the information from Kelvin Joseph. But Arch had an article that he put out. And according to his sources, the Cowboys encouraged Kelvin Joseph to meet with the police so that he could tell them what he knows of the incident. And then, of course, a league spokesperson has said that the matter is being reviewed under the league's personal conduct policy. So as you just said, you know, we'll see. What does this mean for Calvin Joseph moving forward? Will the league do anything, how they look at this? But all of a sudden, this is a guy that you were probably counting on showing up in year two, and it puts kind of a little bit more of a spotlight on that position group. Can I be real with you, Matt? He wouldn't be on my team, bro. I'd cut him on Monday by the end of the business day. Yeah, and I'm kind of curious what they'll do with this. And here's why. Um, you, you can't tell me about a situation like this. I tell you as an organization, hey, bro, you need to go talk to the Popo about this. I mean, this is serious. Yeah. And then you wait and really don't go until you're identified in a video as a person of interest 30 days later. So what it says to me is if I'm an organization, I look at you and go, I mean, you were there. You know what happened. Like, you know that some shots were fired. And whether you found out that night or whether you found out a couple of days later, you realize the person is dead. You really do. Yeah. And then you don't go do anything about it. And it doesn't matter to me why, whether you're worried about, you know, snitches get stitches or, whether you know, whatever, man. You can't be, <laughs> you can't be on my team knowing about a murder and then a possible murder and then you don't do anything about it i mean i don't even i don't want that kind of dude on my team now i do realize they want to sign greg hardy so maybe they just don't care but for my team he can't play for me bro yeah i don't disagree with you man and for a guy that you drafted that last year basically was a hole on the roster and, and to be fair i mean he was banged up and whatnot but uh, Kelvin Joseph did absolutely nothing for you last year for the most part. I mean, he played 
think he played like 10, nine or 10 games, something like that, but it was not what you were hoping he would be as a second round draft pick. So I, I don't know. I, and the whole thing with the, the Bossman fat image that he has and that character that he's created for his music career and, and getting caught up in stuff like this, you just kind of wonder, is it worth it moving forward to which I would say probably not. Now you you can just eliminate the probably it's not. Yeah, that's the thing. You're right. Yeah, <laughs> it's just not like and and again, see, this is we're talking about. Like I can get it. It wouldn't make it better, but I would understand the Cowboys if he was some electric talent. He he was coming off a season like Trayvon Diggs. You go, geez, I can't believe he did this. What a knucklehead! Da 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 da. But my God, the talent is so immense. Uh, man. I hate that we got to do it, but wow, the talent is so great. Yeah, Let's just keep him and hopefully he'll turn around and blah, blah, blah. Well, he ain't that dude, bro. I mean, the reality is he ain't really never done much of anything. He's always been a super talented guy who's gotten chance after chance after chance because he's super talented, not because yeah. he's necessarily been productive. He wasn't even productive at LSU. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, he was okay at LSU, but he wasn't productive at LSU. Um, and besides, as many people have said, you know how hard it is? For an elite football player to get kicked out of LSU? That's very true, man. I mean, they didn't cut Jeremy Hill when he knocked somebody out. So Yeah. I mean, do you know what you have to do to for LSU to basically be like, it's all right, man. Well, you know, go ahead and, you know, go find your yeah. way, do whatever you're gonna do. Goodbye. Um, so and then when you talk to people at the star, they'll tell you that, you know, his immaturity is at a, at an all time high. What color is the sky? Green? Now we just both looked. We both just went out there and looked at it and saw that it was blue. What are you talking about? It's green. I don't know. It's it's green. Yeah. Hey, why were you late? Dog gave my homework. Yeah, always something, man. <laughs> and generally yeah, speaking, yeah. with th- with this kind of, there's always something. You know, that just kind of comes what you are. And why would you want to deal with that at this level? Well, yeah, because everybody makes mistakes. There is no fl- No, there is no person who doesn't have their own flaws. I got them. Matt's got him. Uh, I mean, I think he's got him. Oh, no doubt. uh, Okay. I probably know one female who doesn't have a flaw. Okay. In my my life. All right. But, you know, that's what I would say. But outside of that, you know, I would say that uh, everybody else has got flaws. Um, But given that, you don't want to put up with his flaws, bro. Nope, sure don't. (laughs) You know what, man? When you're dating, you've got them. Now, I know you've got this. You've got some deal breakers. I've got some deal breakers. Everybody you date or everybody you're considering dating, oh, we've been on a couple of dates. It's been great. I wonder if I should, you know, go a little deeper. Everybody got, everybody got deal breakers, man. And if you, if you get one of those deal breakers, then I don't care how fine you are or how much money you make or, or any of that, it ain't going to work and I'm not interested. Well, not telling the popo about a potential murder is a deal breaker for your boy. <laughs> I think that's great, man. So cut his ass and move on. You know what I'm saying, man? That's I, I do. Deal. I'm just telling you, dog. I mean, that's not a robbery. I get it if you don't want to snitch on a robbery. I get that. Yeah. I really do. If it was a fight, I kind of get that too. But the dude lost his life. He's gone. Parents mourning, family mourning. He's 20 years old, had a whole life in front of him. You can't not go to the popo on that one, bro, and play for me. Now, you might can play for somebody else, but you have to have some standard, dog. 
Mm-hmm. You just have to have some standard, or what? What good are you? And then it becomes all right. Well, see you later. Thanks for hanging. We're done. Get away from us. Whoa. You okay? Yeah. Sorry about that. No, it's okay. I just wanted to make sure you are right. Yeah, I had to have a drink. <laughs> I forgot the mic picks up every damn thing. That got you so fired up, you didn't know what to do. You had to have it. <laughs> All right, so we move from that into, as I mentioned, I mean, the NFL draft is coming up, and I thought it was interesting how you pointed this out, and I think there's a lot of truth to this, that on the surface, if the wide receiver is there, if the, and again, they brought in three that are all going to go in the first round. If it's Drake London, if it's Chris Olave, if it's Traylon Burks, or if somehow, some way, like a Garrett Wilson, which is not going to happen, but let's just, the point being, but if that type of wide receiver falls to them where they're sitting, that it, it really feels like that's where the Cowboys pull the trigger. Now, yeah, they'd love to have an offensive lineman, and maybe in a perfect world, all three of those receivers are gone, and they go, well, you know, one of those guys wasn't here. Let's take Green or whatever at the offensive line. But I, I kind of believe, as, as you were talking about, if that receiver's there, the Cowboys are taking them. Well, I think if you go back and think about it, man, the I think the receivers – now, this is just me surmising because as I look at my draft board here on the wall, I don't know if it's going to match up with the Cowboys draft board because uh, I've put in about 20 minutes and they've put in about 500 hours. Fair. But, um, you know, it seems to me like the receivers are ranked really high and the offensive linemen, there's a cluster of them that are – that are second round guys and there's a few of them in the first round but they're so good i don't know if they're going to fall and what have we always told you that there's probably 16 to 18 first round picks on the draft board and so even though you're taking a guy with the 24th pick he may have a second round grade on your draft board yeah that's just how it works out every year um so but i, I was kicking it around man and number one this is an offensive minded franchise so they have to do some work to take defensive players. But number two, if you think about the Jerry Jones era, they have they have always been chasing wide receivers, man. I mean, you can go – and it doesn't matter whether they already got a good one. You know, they chased Anthony Miller when Anthony Miller was, was for a while just like Michael Irvin in the AFC. Yeah. Um, they chased Rocket Ismail, you know. They chased T.O. Um – Terry, Terry, uh, Terry Glenn. They have all, and it Roy doesn't, Williams. again, it, I was going to say Roy Williams gave up two firsts for him. Yeah. Joey Galloway, two firsts. Amari Cooper. They have all, yeah. So you see what I'm saying? Like yeah. they have always chased the receiver, man. And so when you, when you have a chance to get another one, and even C.D. Lamb was a chase because nobody thought he would drop it and nobody figured they would yeah. get him because they needed a pass rusher that year. But if they see an elite, what they consider an elite talent at receiver, it doesn't matter who else is on the roster. They're going to get that guy. And as I brought it, as I was thinking about it, man, if they get that guy, then as much as we enjoy Amari Cooper, essentially you're going to have CD, Gallup, and the young guy for at least three years together, I would think. Uh, and maybe more. Yeah, it, it really feels like they're trying to do, because you remember back in the early 90s, it, they've always been kind of looking for that next, like not just the production of Michael Irvin, but that like that vibe, like the playmaker, his mentality, his leadership, the way that he was. 
And even like when you talk about chasing wide receivers, I mean, Alvin Harper was a first round pick that they took like in the top 15. You remember, you can go back to even, I think the year after that they drafted Emmett, Alexander Wright, they took at wide receiver, who was like a, a top 20 something pick. And yeah. it was like every year for a while, they were spending a first or Jimmy Smith. Remember the Cowboys originally drafted him, Jimmy Smith. I think he was a second round pick back in the early nineties, Kevin Williams back in the early nineties as well. So there was a, a, a time period with this franchise early on with Jerry, where every year they were taking a wide receiver first or second round. No. And so that's, that's what I'm saying. Um, and they've continued to kind of do that, man. Um, except then they stopped drafting and started trading for him. Yeah. Uh, or, or, you know, T.O. was a huge signing at the time. And so, like I said, man, it started with Galloway and Rocket Ismail and all those guys that they just – they see elite receivers or guys who can change the game, and they just go. And I always wonder if it goes back to the Bob Hayes thing, even though Jerry wasn't on the team then. But you just got an electric guy who changes the entire game and forces things to change, and you have to account for that guy. And in today's game, where it's such a passing game, it just makes sense that if you can find one, uh, that you like, who you think fits your other two, then that they will go ahead and pull the trigger, especially in a year like this where there's not a lot of um, – I don't know that there's great players in this draft. There's a lot of good ones, and I'm yeah. sure some of those one or two or three of those good ones will emerge as great ones, but we don't know who they are. Yeah, man, I mean, that's – it is interesting, but they've always been fascinated by that. And, you know, that whole thing where they try to force certain guys to wear 88. I mean, they basically forced CeeDee Lamb to do it. But remember Antonio <laughs> Bryant, when they he was a second-round guy, Bro. and they made him wear 88. Yeah, that dude was good, too, man. <laughs> that dude was fantastic. He just had an anger management issue he could never get under control. Yeah, and he never became what they thought he would be. And then, obviously, they saw Dez there. They trade up, make the moves for Dez, they, and they force him. You know, it's just it's really interesting that they want that, that dominant-level wide receiver, and they want him wearing 88. And it, it's like they become so fascinated by that, which, you know, I get it. And it's interesting because people will say, well, they know they need an offensive lineman. It's like, yeah, but at the same time, they also know, and I think this is kind of, you know, I could see Will McClay going, come on, you know, we need something else. But I can see Jerry and Steven, when we talk about it's a group making decisions, saying, well, we also need to put butts in the seat and we need to sell tickets and, and this is electric. Yeah, I think, I, I really think that, uh, I really think that comes, that's if all things are equal. That's what I'm saying, yeah. Yeah, yeah if all things are equal, yeah, let's get a guy who can also, create some excitement but i mean let's just keep it real dog it's the dallas cowboys and so you know at one level winning creates all the excitement that you need it doesn't really even matter you know what position you take if you're winning at the highest level um and competing at the highest level then all your marketing stuff all the money all the things you do to make money are going to be over the top anyway um now i know this was a receiver conversation but it's, but it's also about the draft. And if you think about Calvin Joseph and and even if he is, uh, even if they keep him, you know, if somebody like Derek Stingley was there at 24, and he could fall because he hasn't done anything of note since his freshman year at LSU and there are questions about, a little bit about his desire just because he's he's been unavailable and he's had some injuries there. Yeah, yeah. Now, he wasn't even in my consciousness, but is he a guy you would add 
if he were there. Or you would move up if he was there at 20. You go, oh, my God, I can't believe he's there at 20. I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, to me, that would that actually makes sense because that was a guy, you know, before again, but see, again, you know, I'm going to say a year ago at this time, people were talking about Derek Stingley Jr. as a top five draft pick. We were also saying Spencer Rattler was going to be the number one overall pick in the draft. So (laughs) things can change. And the fact that he is coming off of an injury and didn't have a lot of availability, you kind of wonder, I think in the past, maybe that would have scared you a little bit more than it does now because they drafted Micah Parsons was a dude that hadn't played the previous season, not because of injury, just because of COVID and all that. But, you know, you look at it where, okay, you've seen some things on tape from Derek Stingley Jr., against some very good wide receivers in the SEC that would lead you to believe with health, this is a very high-level cornerback. Oh, no. I mean, the talent's off the charts. And then he ran 4-3-something the other day. And so people are drooling again. But, you know, the the number one thing in scouting, as Will McClay once told me, is the tape. Yeah. (laughs) Don't get caught up in the metrics. Don't get caught up in the in the interview and everything else. Go watch the tape or the combine. Go watch the tape and see what the tape says over a period of time because that's your best judge of consistency and play. Uh, but Derek Stingley would be extremely enticing um, if he were there, even more so than the receiver. Um, you know, or if he were close enough that you could move up without it costing you the world to do so. Yeah, see, and that's where I wonder, played three games in 2021, obviously the injury having it there, and I don't know. I mean, we're talking about a guy, again, he did start two full seasons in the SEC and was very, very good before he had those injuries yesterday, And but but it's odd that in a lot of these mock drafts, he's he has been available like at the 20th pick for a guy that I think is kind of looked at as most likely a top 10 level talent, which I find strange. No, that's, you know, that's because you got these questions, uh, these questions that surround him. And you just want to know somebody. I mean, he's a boom or bust pick, man. To me, he's not going to be an average player. You're either going to get him and, and you'll get him and you'll be like, see, this is why everybody thought he was a top five pick, yeah. man. Or you'll get him and you go, you know why? This is why the hell we drafted him at 20 because he's always hurt. He's never available. You know, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, so it, it'll be – this is a really interesting draft. I mean, that's one of the things when we've done the draft machine, and we'll do it again next week. But it's one of those things that you kind of can see the range of guys that are there, and it's not really like most of them are – like we've, we haven't done it yet where I'm like, oh, my God, this guy is here. It's kind of like, okay, well, there's a quality receiver. There's what we believe is a quality guard. There's probably a quality linebacker. But I don't know that I separate any of them to the level. Like when CeeDee Lamb was sitting there a couple of years ago, we were all like, holy shit. Are you kidding me, CeeDee? Because everybody thought he'd be the first wide receiver taken. And then it didn't work out that way because the the Raiders did what the Raiders do, taking rugs. And then we're like, okay. And then as the picks kept going by, like, oh, my God there's a chance C.D. Lamb might, like, are you kidding me? And I just don't know that that's going to happen this year where there's that are-you-kidding-me level guy sitting there where they're at. No, I mean, because I don't know that any of these guys qualify as are-you-kidding-me. Yeah, and again. That's the problem. Yep. Now, see, I think the bigger question is, would you take a boomer bus guy with the Cowboys right now, knowing who they are and what they need, are you interested in a boomer bus guy? Man, that's a that's an interesting question. I think that I am, 
because, but again, their whole philosophy shows me that they're not interested because if they were, why aren't they trying to do more and kick the can down the road a little bit? And and so to me, it doesn't feel like they've tried to act like they're going all in. So I don't know that it makes sense. Like, oh, our free agent strategy and the things that we've done with even in some regards with our own free agents, why would we randomly in the first round go for the boomer best, like almost like, hey, we're all in. We better hit on this guy because we need him versus, well, if he busts, then we're going to be okay. Where you might want to, maybe a guy with a lower ceiling, but you feel like he's going to be an integral part of what you're trying to build towards. Yeah, it's just, um, you know, they love stars in Dallas. Yeah. Jerry loves stars. Guys who can sell jerseys and stuff. I mean, that's why Michael Parsons is part of this big surprise because nobody thought he'd be this. Well, he's, you know, you can't keep his jerseys in the store, and that's that's another that's another part of the marketing deal. So that's part of the reason why they like these stars. It's good for the franchise, and their franchise built on stars. Whereas some other franchise, like the Baltimore Ravens come to mind, they haven't really, they've been really successful over the years. But aside from Ray Lewis and Ed Reed, they haven't really been built on stars. They've been yeah. built on, on other stuff, great defense, good special teams. They don't make a lot of mistakes, you know, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but few teams are built around stars over a long period of time as the Cowboys are. I mean, they actively go try to get them when mm-hmm. they don't have them. They're kind of like the Lakers used to be. Oh, we're out of a star. Let's go trade for Kobe. We're out of a star. Let's go acquire Shaq. We're out of a star. Hey, Abdul-Jabbar looks good. Yeah, so – I don't know. We'll see what they decide to do, but I, I that's why doing these mocks and stuff has been so interesting because I could see them going in a handful of directions, and I don't know that any of those it, – it's almost like whoever they wind up with because I feel like there's probably four or five guys that will be there for them that I'll be totally fine with whoever they select. What about the big defensive lineman from Georgia? Would oh, Jordan Davis? Yeah, I'd be totally fine with Jordan Davis. Okay. But again, are the he is are the Cowboys going to have the defense where they need that guy? And if they do, then yeah, because I thought he was a beast in college. That's a guy who I thought would be looked at as being higher. But again, well, everybody likes to it's like, did you watch the games or do you just nitpick on tape? I don't know. <laughs> well, I think the other thing is just, you know, is he a three down guy or is he a two down guy? Um, and the way the NFL is going, what's the value of taking a two down guy that high until you get run over in the playoffs? Right. Yeah. <laughs> time will tell that's, but that's the question i don't know it's gonna be wild man we'll see how it goes so as we move on we'll get into a trip around the block here but before we do that have you gotten your biltong yet did it arrive for you this weekend or last week and you're snacking on it while you're listening to the podcast and you're going hell yeah this bruise biltong is badass i'm glad it's in my mouth it's so savory it's so tender <laughs> you're like god it's kind of like beef jerky but it's not And then you realize when you're reading the package, it's a traditional South African air-dried meat. There's, you can get the two-ounce snack bags. I mean, you talk about a perfect snack, 240 calories, 30 grams of protein in their snack bags. You can order the bigger bags. Brews Biltong, man. It is literally one of my all-time favorite snacks. I love it. Dude, it's it's fantastic. And again, if you're trying to... Watch your weight or if you work at it all. It's it's the perfect snack, man, really. I I get down with the sliced biltong. It's savory, man. It's succulent. It's I've never really had anything like it. It's it's not like beef jerky where it's 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 all stuck in your teeth and it's a little drier. No, nah, this is actually juicy and that's why it's different. And let me tell you, you don't need a toothpick afterwards. It's all in your belly, not stuck in your teeth. There you go. It's bruisebiltong.com, B R U S. 
B-I-L-T-O-N-G, brewsbiltong.com. Make it happen. Jump online and order yours today at brewsbiltong.com. Oh, and use the promo code JAM15 when you check out, and you get 15% off your order just for Jam Session listeners. Also, of course, Freeway Tire Shop, JR and his guys. I always ask this every week, and I'm always curious. If you haven't tried JR, if, if you have not taken your car to Freeway for an oil change, a state inspection, even something serious like Jacques had so many times done to his cars, my question to you would be why not? Yeah, what you waiting for, man? Yeah. Uh, JR and his guys, uh, they're fantastic over there, man. And for me, with a, cus- with a, with a mechanic or a tire shop, it's all about customer service, man, because most of us don't have any idea what we're doing over there. And so when you get a guy or you get a team of guys and, and you can trust what they tell you when it's what's wrong with your car and you yeah. can trust that they're using quality parts to fix your car. And then for me, man, you can trust that the price is fair. They're not out here trying to gouge you. It's like, hey, here's a fair price. And you're like, wow, you know what? That is okay, cool. And then you trust them to stand behind their work, man. And that's for me is why uh, JR is the only dude whose hands I let touch my car because uh, all of that is what happens at Freeway Tire Shop. And they're fantastic and consistent. Easy to get to, man. It's just north of downtown Dallas. Check them out online. Schedule an appointment. Request a quote. Make sure you let them know that you heard about it on the Jam Session podcast. They're going to get you taken care of. Online at freewaytireshop.com. So this trip around the block, I, I, I thought this was interesting. I randomly came across this. And, you know, we like, I feel like everybody likes lists. Lists are just fun. Like, anytime I see a list about something, generally speaking, I'm like, oh, okay, I'm curious. Like, it could be, like, the silliest thing. I'm like, oh, what do they think is, what's the top five, you know, whatever it is. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, that's because lists are inevitably debatable. So conversation starters. So, uh, hey, they're good. I, we have talked about studies from this website before, but it's called Smart Asset. And Smart Asset is a financial technology company. So recently, they compared 200 U.S. cities to find the safest communities and determined that eight of the 10 safest cities in the country were in Texas and California. They find that mid-sized cities offer the most safety. And so for a variety of rankings, and they take it, so here's what they take into account to make this list, right? Violent crime, property, vehicular mortality and drug poisoning mortality rates, as well as the percentage of population engaging in excessive drinking. All right. I don't know. The safest city, actually the two safest cities in the country, according to this, number one and number two are right smack dab in the DFW area. Well, what are they, baby? Number one, Frisco. I get that. Number two, McKinney. McKinney, huh? This, All I remember yeah. from McKinney, they had a quadruple murder there. Did they? That's what I remember. Must not have been any time recently, I guess. Ah, uh, let me see. I'm just, I'm just curious now when it was. Uh, I have no idea. I mean, people get murdered in every city at some point, right? But not a quadruple. Not a but quadruple, was, no. Maybe that was just a one-time deal. Like Plano was on the list. They're ninth. On this list of safest cities in America. Oh, okay. It was July 22nd. No, it was March 12th. Oh. Okay, when was it? Now you're just jumping around all these different dates. Well, I'm trying to get... It's called the Truett Street Massacre. 
What the hell? Four four people were gunned down in a house in McKinney, Texas on March 12th, 2004. Wow. See, it didn't seem like it was that long ago. Okay, me. so 18 years ago, I think they've forgiven McKinney for this. Well, yeah. And see, man, time <laughs> flies. Yeah, they do, man. I mean, it really does, because it felt like it was like eight or nine years ago, yeah. not 18. No, oh, that's what's so... to die. Like the growth, and we've talked about this before, but the growth of Dallas, especially to the north, and it's starting to really happen to the south as well. But I remember, and I know that people even older than me, my parents who grew up in Plano and went to Plano High School originally, where I remember as a kid where Plano stopped at Legacy, and there was like just field north of Legacy. And then if you wanted to, you would drive through this farming community called Allen, and like it felt like it was forever away was McKinney. And now it's just nothing but concrete and houses and everything's built up. Even And that's what blows my mind is you get up into Anna and Melissa where that's getting all built up up there now. And those people, they probably go to Dallas like, well, we got to drive into the big city because it takes like an hour. It's ridiculous. <laughs> no, dude, it's uh, it's amazing how, how that stuff happens when, when you go to a small community. You know what it, You know what that is to the south, man, which mm. is just booming? It's Midlothian. Yes, it is. is. about... 10 miles south of DeSoto, which has been basically nothing but, but woods out there, man, 20 years ago. Yeah. But they just added another five or six A high school, I think. And it's just booming as people go 10 miles further down the south to get a little more land on their house, a little better school district, a little better this, a little better that. Yeah. No, I can see that, man. And, you know, now they do it. I mean, that's this is like one of the things about the suburbs that they nailed years ago that they're trying to do. It feels like more in downtown locations now in bigger cities is everything that you need has to be accessible. And that was one of the problems with living, especially like if you lived very close to Dallas, like everything you needed was not accessible to you. You would have to drive out to a suburb for certain things. And it feels like they're doing that better in big city downtowns, but now they'll, they'll build stuff in these master plan communities where if you, if you wanted to, you could live your entire life within a 10 minute radius. Now, you know, that's the interesting thing, man, is that all these communities have a Walmart, a target, a discount tire, a best buy, all these little things that you need, which means you don't ever have to leave your neighborhood. Yeah. I would agree with that, man. Also wanted to get to this because the Dallas Morning News just put the, and I think this is especially now, and I know in Dallas it's been a little bit more warm, or I should say warmer than it has been here in Birmingham, but we all love a good patio. I think when it's 75, 80 degrees, the sun's out, everybody loves sitting on a patio and just enjoying it, man. Well, the Dallas Morning News put out their list of the best patios in Dallas, in the Dallas area. So most of these I have been to at some point. Some of them are newer, and I don't know what they're talking about. But for instance, the AT&D Discovery District in downtown Dallas, which is phenomenal. They've got that food hall, which is crazy. You know, it's fully yes. operational now. The Jackson, which is that big kind of expensive patio restaurant that's down there. But that is a very, very cool area right in the heart of downtown Dallas. That's just where uh, me and my son went uh, when we had lunch a couple weeks ago. We went to... Uh bob's burger and something okay. inside that food court yeah sandwich was good but uh, we walked through the jackson not knowing that that's what it was uh but we didn't like their menu it's a little too pricey for us uh meaning it was good food on there but a little more than we wanted to spend 
Yeah, see, this is interesting. Like, me, Cosina from, from Clyde Warren Park is on here, obviously, because you're at the park. Um, Katie Trail Ice House, which has a massive patio. The Rustic in Uptown, which is the same way. The Smoky Rose, which is over there right next to White Rock Lake, that place is not cheap, but that's a very cool place, literally right across the street from the Dallas Arboretum. And then there's a couple of new ones that I'm unfamiliar with, like Thunderbird Station in Deep Ellum, which I believe is the place that took over what was that old German restaurant that got shut down a couple of years ago. I'm pretty sure that's what that is. I could be totally way off on that, though. Now that I look at it, I realize I am way off, so never mind. <laughs> that's not that building. I don't know what that is, but Thunderbird Station, I'm, I, I don't think I've ever been there, oddly enough. And I've been to Deep Ellum many times, though not recently because if you want to die, you go to Deep Ellum. Man, stop. Deep Ellum's gotten out of control, dude. <laughs> There's like a shooting or a fight or a attempted shooting every weekend in Deep Ellum. Dude, you got to be careful when you hang out there. It's crazy, man. Um, and I don't know if that's uh, young kids or troublemakers or too much alcohol or, or what that is. Or some combination of all of that. I would imagine, but the weird thing is, is that it didn't used to be that way. Like people have all like Deep Elms always had a bunch of bars and places you could go get drunk, have a good time. But for whatever reason, in the last year or so, it's just gotten out of control. I mean, the crime and like the 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 violent stuff that's happening down there has skyrocketed. I was just oh, reading something about that. I was trying to find the article real quick, but I was reading something about that a couple of weeks ago because like they don't know, like they're trying to curb all the stuff that's happening because it's just gotten really, really bad in that area. What did the store say? Did the store give any any? Uh... No, it, it, I, I can't. I was trying to find exactly because again, it was a couple of weeks ago. But you know, they were talking about that, trying to figure out. You know, there was an article. Trying to think, earlier this year that they were talking about stuff, and they were. This was like remember, like somebody drove a car through a crowd or something and tried to run over something, and then that same weekend. Somebody got shot and was killed. And then last weekend, or maybe it was a weekend before last, somebody got stabbed in the neck. Good grief. Yeah, I mean, it's just like all kinds of stuff. And part of that, I think, is because they, for a long time, the police presence, they're trying to figure out a way to to boost the police presence in that area during peak times because it got so bad. Um, I mean, I can't think of anything better. I mean, you should have some off-duty cops just walking around, hanging out. They don't need to be doing anything. Just their presence ought to slow it down. But the businesses, it seemed to me, would be, you know, like we got to do something, whether we got to come together collectively or what to figure yeah. out what to do. Because, you know, at a certain point, people go, you know what? It's just not worth it to go down there and risk that. Let's go to some other pocket of town. Yeah, pretty much, man. I mean, that's... I'm not a big fan of going into a, but again, like Deep Ellum was like, it's cool, but for me, it really, and maybe this is what happened. I don't know. It, it got douched out. It became completely different than what it used to be now. And it's, well, it, it's, you know, it used to be very artsy. It, it used to be Deep Ellum had a lot of very unique character to it that it was kind of almost like a bohemian area, like creative and, now it kind of became what Uptown used to be, where they started to put in really trendy places. That whole vibe, it became very, very touristy as well. I mean, most people that aren't from Dallas, they, oh, I've heard of Deep Ellum. I got to go there and check it out. And I don't know if it's a combination of that and just more bars 
you know, with more alcohol being poured down there now than ever before. Maybe that late night on a Friday or Saturday night and the, the testosterone guys show up and everybody wants to fight and people got guns now. So they just start shooting. No, maybe. I mean, that's so I mean, I, I get what you're saying. It did used to be that artsy fartsy. Yeah, thing. yeah. Uh, and it's clearly not rocking like that anymore. No, not at all. I mean, it's a totally different. And you remember like 10 years ago, there used to be that whole don't uptown my Deep Ellum. And, and there, you'd see a, a signs down there. And I mean, people that were from Deep Ellum would wear t-shirts like that. And well, they uptowned it. And they, it's like uptown on steroids. Like what <laughs> uptown used to be like back in the day. I mean, it's like they, you know, they coked out uptown and, and now it's called Deep Ellum. Wow. It is, man. I don't know what to tell you. It's unfortunate because that's a cool area. It's been, you know, used to be Lizard Lounge and trees, and it was just kind of that, like, almost like an alternative indie-type vibe, and now it's not. It's Deep Ellum lost that a long time ago. But I guess it's inevitable. It makes sense when you explain it like that. Well, you you know, things just change, bro. They do. They do indeed. Things are always changing, and sometimes they change for the good, sometimes not so much. But if you have noticed things changing in your house, like perhaps you notice, wait a second, there's cracks in my ceiling that weren't there, I swear, a week ago. Well, guess what? Much like how Deep Ellum sucks now, that may be your house telling you, my God, I'm about to start sucking. You need to do something. And that's why you call HFX Foundation Solutions, because Aaron and his guys, they can come out, give you a free, no obligation inspection, give you that peace of mind about what's going on with your home. Because again, and we've told you this, this is real. The, if you ignore foundation problems, you are screwing yourself long-term. Oh, you don't want to be ignoring foundation problems, brother. You want those taken care of immediately post-haste pronto, and Aaron and his guys are the, are the team to do it. And more importantly, man, we, we say that they give your house, your house a colonoscopy. And what it means is they give you the once-over, man, and then they give you that peace of mind that comes from having a colonoscopy that's clean. Uh, because if they find something, typically they find it early enough that it doesn't cost an arm and a leg to fix it. Uh, we all know that the later you wait to find something, the more expensive it is. Aaron can help you avoid that kind of pain. So give him a call, let him and his crew give your house the one over and get that peace of mind you deserve. 817-770-0174. 817-770-0174. Online at hfxfoundation.com. Make it happen for yourselves and you'll enjoy all of that. These Dallas Mavericks, man, these Dallas Mavericks are in a world of pain. They officially here this evening have made the announcement because they had to turn it in. Luka Doncic is on the injury list. He is listed as doubtful. According to everybody who covers the league, guys like Tim McMahon and whatnot, he's not going to play in game two. He missed game one, and it's obviously the Mavericks are a different team without him. The frustrating thing is they had multiple chances to to really steal game one and it didn't go their way and they are staring 0-2 and and a death sentence in the face well yeah i mean i thought they had a uh they had a chance to win game one they played they to me they played pretty well um it just came down to as i i think i tweeted this out it was like four point four point game with six minutes to play or something like that that's all you want yeah in any game okay i got a chance to win it they got within a point, and, you know, it's classic, man. Dude from Utah, ain't made a shot all night, ain't hit yep. a shot all night, hits a corner three, and they go up four, and that was basically the game-winning bucket. Um, so disappointing thing is 
they couldn't get a stop when they needed to. And the bigger issue is I think that came off of an offensive rebound and a reset of the offense. And uh, that was a big problem the other day. Uh, but here's, here's why I don't think it's over, bro. And, you know, I'm usually not an optimist. I'm much more of a realist. But I can be a realist about this. Is that I looked at that game and I go, I mean, Utah, I mean, if you look at it from Utah's perspective, they got the dub, they got what they needed done. Yeah. But it's not like they controlled the game the whole way and they, you know, without Luka, the Mavericks had no shot. So I could see if the Mavericks played just a little bit better offensively. And all that means to me is you got to shoot, you know, close to 85, 90% from the line when you get there. And you got to hit these open shots at a better rate than you hit them the other day. And if you do that, they'll, be, they'll have a chance to win. And this is shocking to say this, bro. It's because they play good enough defense that it's hard for other teams to run away from them. And that keeps them in the game. And now it's just a matter of can somebody make a bucket for you at the game, at, when it matters in the fourth quarter. Yeah, and the other thing was, I mean, they got absolutely destroyed on the glass. I mean, absolutely destroyed on the glass, including offensive rebounding-wise, where Utah had 13, which generates a lot of second-chance points and second opportunities. Well, the Mavs, overall, they were rebounded by 19, and including 13 more defensive rebounds for Utah, which does the opposite effect. If you get an offensive rebounds, you're generating second-chance points, second opportunities. The Mavs did not get nearly as many of those. And it was just unfortunate. They had some good looks at the basket. They had a lot of good looks for threes. They missed them. They were 9 of 32 from the three-point line. 28% is hard in this day and age in the NBA to win when you're shooting below 30% from the three-point line. And as crazy as it is, because you mentioned it, they were right there at the end. I mean, right there at the end to the point where I thought, okay, my God, here they go. And I thought when Kleba went down and hit that three, and there was yeah. two minutes left. It was 92 to 91. And then the Jazz, I can't remember who it was. The Jazz missed the shot. The Mavs got the rebound and then went right down. And I thought, oh, my God, they're going to get it. This is a chance to take the lead. I hated the shot that Kleba took again. It was another three. He bricked it, just a bad miss. And then Royce O'Neal goes down for the Jazz and drains a three. And just like that, it's back yeah. to a four-point lead. And I, I thought, and I hate when they do this in the NBA. When you're down by one and you got like a minute and something left, I mean, work to get a like a solid really like you didn't even need a three in that situation. And yeah, I just right, felt right, like right. he didn't take time to set things up. And and he, you know, I mean, he had just made one. Maybe he was feeling it. And that when he missed that and they went down and hit that three, it's like, God, man, it just feels like no matter what they do, they can't quite get what they need. No, I think that's uh, I think that's a good way to. Uh... To describe it, because I felt pretty much the same thing. Like, man, man, I don't mind the three, especially in today's NBA, but I didn't like that one. Because um, you're right, it was, it did feel rushed. And but that's all part of the game, man. Is you got to embrace the end of the game and understand, you know, how to take good shots, then how to get the best opportunity. And they didn't do that, bro. And they paid the ultimate price for it. It's not why they lost the game, but it sure as hell didn't help them. Yeah, no, not at all. And and so now you're down. 1-0, game two, of course, Monday night. Luka isn't going to play. You, you have to have it. I mean, you cannot go to Utah down 0-2, even if you got a few days until Thursday when Luka probably will be available for you for game three, 
And then you're asking, you got to win four out of five against the Utah Jazz, where they've got three of them on their home court. Yeah, but see, I think um, somebody hit me up yesterday and said, uh, hit me up on Twitter and said, um, it's over if they lose game two. If Luka doesn't come back and lose game two, it's over. They're 0-11 in Utah since 2016. And I said, ah, it's really, really difficult, but I'm not going to say it's over even if they lose. And I told him this, and I say the same to you. Now, this is just your boy here. Like, I don't care what happened from 2016 with the, with the Mavericks in Utah. Why is that, Matt? New coach, different players. So it's not the same set of circumstances, same team. I don't even care what happened since Lucas showed up, which is like 0-6. Why? It's a different coach and a different mentality and a different dynamic, meaning this team plays defense. The only reason you play defense, the only reason you give a damn about defense, according to coaches, is that's the one element of the game that never leaves. You can always win a game with some defense if you play it at the highest level and you get a little bit of help. You can always win a game with defense. They now have that ability. So if you have that ability to win with defense, maybe that gets you a game. Now, Luka's got to come back at some point. You're not, you're not beating them if he never comes back. And if he doesn't play game three, you're probably not beating them. But if he comes back and plays game three, I see ways they can still win the series. All right? Now, it'd be hard. I think they'd be maybe only the fourth team to ever go 0-2 at home and then win, win a series. But the Mavericks did it once before against Houston years ago. Um, so I can see it happening. I don't think it, I think it'd be difficult, but I'm not ready to write him off, even if they lose game two until I see what's up with Luca, because he's the uh, he's the wild card, man. Yeah, and there are two games in Utah earlier this season. Obviously, they're zero and two in Utah this season. One Luca played in, one Luca did not. Of course, you'll remember the Christmas Day game. Luca was out, and the Mavs lost on Christmas Day in Utah by four. And then the other one in late February in Utah, they lost by five. So they've had some close matchups with and without Luka. And obviously, game one without Luka. It, it, what sucks is you watch that and you go, man, if Luka could have played, they're up 1-0. Like, I have zero doubt in my mind. But he didn't play. But the reality of it is that they, they were in a game they could have won. It's not like they got their ass kicked because Luka wasn't on the court, which gives right. you some hope that they can get a win in game two. That's really what I'm talking about. Like, I, I looked at that game and I go, if Luka plays, they win this game by 8-10. to 10. I mean, that's just the way I felt. And, um, you know, if he can come back in game three, because to me that's the game. You're not coming back from three down. And given the history, even though I don't pay any attention to it, um, you know, just your confidence level, if you're down 0-2 and Luka is not playing going into game three, you know, it's going to be hard for them to believe that they can do something after losing the first two at the crib. But if Luka comes back for game three, then you get an emotional boost yeah. from him coming back. He obviously makes everybody better. And, again, with the defense, you have a chance to, uh, to steal game three and get back in the series if, if you're down 0-2. Yeah, I mean, if they split and they can win game two – and it does because Luca did some light basketball stuff today in practice. So you kind of get the vibe that he should be good to go by Thursday for game three. 
if they're going to Utah and it's a 1-1 series and Luka's going to be healthy the rest of the way, I still think the Mavs win the series. Yeah. Down down 0-2, Luka's going to have to, he's going to single-handedly have to steal you a game, which he's very capable of doing. Yeah, he's certainly capable of doing that. I mean, he was going to have to do that anyway, um, probably uh, for them to win the series. Defense take one, Luka take one, um, and, you know, you go from there. Yeah, we'll see. But it's it's exciting. But, man, watching the game yesterday, it, it's so hard to to watch and see Luka on the sidelines just hoping and wishing. Because I'll tell you this, man, if they go down 0-2, even if Luca comes back, it's so stacked against him. It makes it so difficult, and it just will suck if that's the case and they lose both games without Luca. Because forever we'll sit there and go, "Well, that's almost like a wasted playoffs." Like kick ass. If Luca had been yeah. healthy, maybe you know you can extend past this. But without Luca being there, even it, like if they get to like Luca comes back and they lose in Game Seven, we'll all still look at it and go, "Yeah, but he didn't play the first two, or they'd be going to the second round." And that, that will suck. <laughs> They've got to get game two. They just even it out, you know, and just for the, the just basketball gods. And anytime I see teams, like I don't want Donovan Mitchell to get hurt. I don't want Rudy Gobert to get hurt. I want right, the Jazz right. at full strength, just like I want the Mavs at full strength. And if they, if they beat you with Luka, then, hey, you did it. But winning without Luka, I mean, come on, you barely beat a team without Luka? So what? Dude, and did you see what Donovan Mitchell did? 30 points in the second half. Yeah, he went ballistic. And he just took over, bro. It was a uh, whoo, boy. Yeah, and that was unfortunate because I was just like, come on, man. Miss something. <laughs> I got excited at the end. when I, I mean, when Kleba hit that three, he's like, oh, my God, we're going to do this. We're going to pull it out. And then no. And you're just like, damn it. It sucks. It does. There's no, there is no other way to paint the picture other than it sucks that Luka's hurt and the Mavs are down 0-1. So bounce back. No. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the only choice and option that you get, bro. The only thing that would probably make me feel better about that is if I could just bury my face in a jam session bowl. <laughs> if I could just get to Smokey John's and order up that jam session bowl off the secret menu and stuff my face with it, I would feel amazing. I would feel fulfilled because I would get to choose, do I want the mac and cheese or the mashed potatoes? They're both made from scratch. What meats do I want to put on this? What toppings will I choose? And the fact that I could look around and people would be like, what did you just order? I'm like, oh, secret. <laughs> it's a secret menu. You should listen to Jam Session. And, you know, we love the guys at Smokey John's. They've been awesome partners with us. We are so very appreciative of what they do to help the podcast. And it's, again, you guys, honestly, you're, you're going to love it. When you get to Smokey John's, you're going to find something. Even if you don't get the Jam Session Bowl, you're going to love it. Dude, the food is fantastic. It's soul food. It's home cooking. It's everything Mama used to make on Easter Sunday. As as a matter of fact, if you if you think about it, and it's delicious. Uh, the jam session bowl, as we've told you, is outstanding. I mean, it's it's really, really, really good. It is, man. It's right smack dab in Dallas, right there off Mockingbird. You can go physically sit down at the restaurant and enjoy it, or if you can't get there. Do yourself a favor. Jump online, order the sauce, order the rub. You can enjoy a little bit about what they are at home. SmokyJohns.com. Click on Smokey's Market, and you can find your way to it there. But I think you're really going to enjoy it. Find a way to add it to the list of destinations you're trying to check out when you're in Dallas. Smokey John's Barbecue. So yesterday was the debut, and this weekend in general has been the debut of the USFL. The new USFL, it is, 
What's interesting is I had a couple of people text me today. They go, man, I can't believe nobody went to Houston. Like nobody in Houston's like at the stadium. I was like, all the games are in Birmingham. <laughs> like every, all the games, all eight teams are practicing, living, and all of the games for the USFL this season are going to be in Birmingham. So I went yesterday with the lady friend and her family. She had her dad and her sister came in town. So there were six of us total. And we went to the first ever inaugural game of the Birmingham Stallions, the New Jersey Generals. And I don't know how it really translated to TV, but I can tell you for what it was, the experience in stadium is cool. It's a really cool stadium. I mean, it's, it's basically brand new. They, they opened it last October. Right. And it is a really nice stadium. It seats about 45,000 totally, you know, balls to the wall, maxed out. It was a great crowd. By the time the second quarter rolled around, I would say it was 90 to 95% full. I thought the game really? was a lot of fun. Yeah, I mean, early on, like when, when kickoff happened, nobody was in the upper deck. By the second quarter, the upper deck was, I mean, there's a ton of people up there. It locally, I mean, they pushed this. It was a lot of excitement, I think, locally. People really get into anything Birmingham. And so everybody was hardcore for the Stallions. And that was cool. I mean, everybody was cheering. But one thing I really thought was cool about the experience was you saw a lot of families. And the fact that kids 15 and under get in free, you could tell a lot of people took advantage of that. And there were a lot of families there, which I thought that's what this should be. It's kind of cool. I will say I thought the quarterback play was very lacking, especially from the Birmingham Stallions. There were so many freaking incompletions and TV timeouts. The first quarter, I kid you not, the first quarter in real time, and I don't know if people realize this watching it, they kicked off at 6.30. The first quarter ended at like 7.32. That seems like a long time, is it not? It is because all the freaking TV timeouts and they, the quarterback play and all the incompletions, well, the clock stops every time there's an incompletion. <laughs> you know, and, and so that's one thing that I think you have to overcome, and that was one of the downfalls of the AAF was the quarterbacks were just trash. Bro, <clears throat> that's going to always be the problem. Think about it. It's just simple math. There are only, literally, bro, almost, let's see, how many NFL quarterbacks are there? There's probably like six, let's see, there's probably, some teams have three, some teams have two. But, you know, let's say for purposes of discussion, if you count practice squads, there's 90 NFL quarterbacks, all right? There's only really... Let's be generous. 20 of them that are any good. Yeah. The rest of them are trash. Like, literally, we've seen it in Dallas. You know, we're, you know they're, they're basically trash to backups. So there's only 20 good quarterbacks. So imagine if you take the top 90 out and now you're going to fill a roster with the other guys who are left, your quarterback play can only help to be bad. Yeah, and it, it's funny because my dad texted me. He was watching the game. He knew we were at the game. And, you know, they're doing a lot of different things, which I think anytime you got a new league, you should do a lot of different things, including the drone. The drone was weird. In stadium, because they're doing a lot of camera shots with the drone, who basically when they hiked the ball if they wanted to, the drone could follow right behind the running back. Well, in stadium, that thing would whip around and zip around, and you'd hear it. And I was like, God, that's got to be distracting as hell to the players on the field. But... 
My dad texted me and said, the TV coverage is too in your face. Drones flying around are annoying. The football is just okay, lower than major college. And that's kind of what I thought. I mean, to me, this is not Power 5 football even. I mean, we're talking about some of these guys played Power 5, some didn't. None of them were good enough to play at the next level, hence they're in the in-between level. So you kind of expect, you know, like I had a buddy who texted it and said, so you don't think they could compete in the SEC? I was like, Alabama would wipe the field with one, either one of these teams. Oh, my God, yeah. But again... Well, I don't know. You think so? Yeah, I do, yeah. Because you're okay. talking about these, these are guys... I mean, and again, Alabama is an extreme example, and there's only a handful of teams that can say this. Alabama's got, at any given time, 20 dudes on the team that are going to start in the NFL. None of the guys on any of these teams in the USL, USFL can start in the NFL because they, they didn't. I mean, these are guys who can't even hang on a practice squad in the NFL. So that kind of tells you what level we're talking about. But there is a lot of entertainment value, and I thought as an in-stadium experience, I enjoyed it. It was cool. Everybody was stoked that Birmingham won. The way they won right at the end of the game, late in the fourth quarter, coming back, was a lot of fun. There were big hits. There were some really nice catches. There were times where it drug a little bit, and you could tell. But hopefully over the course of the season, for instance, the dude who started at quarterback for Birmingham, I mean, he's a guy none of us have ever heard of. (laughs) And he's a starting quarterback in the USFL. His name's Alex Magoo. And this is a dude who... In college, played at Florida International. He was a seventh-round NFL draft pick, and he had been kind of bouncing around practice squads. He was on the practice squad of the Seahawks, the Jags, the Texans, back to the Seahawks. I had read he hadn't played in a competitive football game since he left college in twenty at the end of 2017. Yet he was able to make a roster. Right. So, but also <laughs> point being, yeah, like, okay, you've, so you've been on practice you can only squads. You so good yeah. when that's the, cir- when that's the right. set of circumstances you're working with. And it's like, so what are we expecting about a guy who has not played in a game situation in five years? Yeah, but that's what I'm talking about. Right. He hadn't played in a game situation in five years, yet he made the team and is the starter. So what does that tell you? That tells you that, you know, the competition is only of a certain level. Yeah, and see, to me, if you go into that with that understanding, I think you can enjoy it. You know, like, like I think especially for kids, because kids, you know, a lot of the times like, oh, this is who cares if it's not NFL? This is awesome. And so I, I think, you know, depending on what you're willing to accept as far as what you like to watch, there's going to be people out there that are like, okay, this is not NFL at all, and this is not even close to big-time college football And I will say this, having turned on the game today, this morning. Now, granted, Easter Sunday in Birmingham, which is a big deal, a lot of businesses around here are closed, which I thought, I didn't realize businesses closed on Easter. But also the fact that we had really, like, intense storms that came through this morning, and the kickoff of the first game today was delayed because of it. I would say on TV, it looked like there were maybe, I mean, honestly, it looked like there were 15 people in the stands. (laughs) And so my thing is, I wonder... Birmingham will show out to go watch the Birmingham Stallions. I wonder how right. many people in this community will just go watch a random-ass USFL game and with, that Birmingham doesn't play in. Nah, I, you know. I mean, it is Alabama. They do love their football, so maybe they're just like, eh. They do to some degree, but I, I don't know. And, and also, really, the in-stadium thing is not where the league's going to make or break. It's going to be on television. And they have released, apparently, the USFL is saying that 
last night, the simulcast on Fox and NBC. Now, keep in mind, that's the first time that's happened since Super Bowl One. It delivered 3 million viewers across both networks and their streaming platforms. Is that considered good? See, I don't know. I was wondering that, too, because regular season NFL is going to bring you, at times, 20-plus million viewers. Is 3 million viewers combined, is that good? I don't know. I don't know. We have to find somebody who's more in tune than me. Uh, That being said, I think it's always the second second week. You know, they're going to have 3 million again, or they're going to have 1 million, or 900,000. Okay, so I I was... I was curious, so I looked this up. When the AAF debuted a few years back, their week one ratings for the Saturday night game pulled in 3.25 million viewers, so about the same. Right. And the AAF, I mean, was that going... I, I, I don't know. Do you need more than that to be successful? I think you need it consistently, and then that would be the, that would be the, the deal. Can you get it consistently, or will it dip? I don't know, man. And and you're right, because what will happen if next week the number gets cut in half and instead of there being, and I will say this because they tweeted out that the announced attendance was 17,000 last night, that stadium, and I didn't take this into account, but one of somebody tweeted at me, well, they had some of it blocked off because of the giant graphics. So there were sections you couldn't sit in, but of the available sections, what was available for seating was it, it was about 90 to 95% of available seats were filled. And yeah, so well, that's good. You know, I, I would have guessed that there was about 30 to 35,000 people in that stadium. There's no way it was 17,000. And they even said they sold or gave away 40,000 tickets. So I thought that was weird. If there was that many, how did only 17,000 get in? But I don't know. No, that, the math seems a little quirky. Yeah, and I don't know if kids get in free, did kids need a ticket? I don't know, but it's, I mean, the good thing is, and you have to do this sometimes, you're just giving away the product to see if you can entice people to come back, and that's fine. Yeah, so I I don't know, but all in all, I thought I'll probably go again at some point this year, mainly because we set, we were probably, I don't know, we could have set lower, we just didn't want to, because What's weird is that it's not assigned seating. Like, once you're in, as long as you're in the section that you paid for, you can sit wherever you want. That caused some confusion. I will say the concessions, they didn't open up all the concessions. Waits in the concession lines were over an hour. It was ridiculous. Is that right? Yeah, kid you not. I had multiple people reach out to me on Twitter that were like, waited in line 45 minutes. I waited in line an hour and two minutes, whatever it was. My lady's sister went and got a drink, just a drink, an alcoholic drink. She was gone for 45 minutes. It's and, and they sold out of stuff. They ran out of nachos. They ran out of something else. And people were complaining about that. And I thought, man, how are you not prepared? Well, maybe they got more people than they thought. I guess so, man. But you got to fix that. Because that was ridiculous. But outside of that, I mean, I thought that was cool that for... I didn't buy the $10 tickets. We had the $25 tickets. And so we oh, said... Oh, oh. Hey, big baller. 25 bucks, hey, man. Shut Carlo. But I will say that we were right smack dab in the middle of the field on the 50-yard line, and the seats that you sit in, they have a seat back. They're like, you know, nice padded seats with space. And I I enjoyed it. The temperature was really nice after the storms came through last night, so it was nice and cool. It was a beautiful night, and it was just kind of – 
I mean, for me, for something like that, that was for value, it was fine. Fun to do. Smack dab in Birmingham. Go root for the local team. Why not? Dude, I mean, I think it's great. You know, minor league baseball is, is a lot of fun. And most of the times you're watching dudes who will never sniff the majors in minor league baseball. And it can still Bro. be very enjoyable. Yeah. I mean, because you're out there having a good time. Yeah. And, and so that's kind of where I looked at it at. It's, it, to me, it's, I would compare it to minor league baseball of some level, not triple A. You know, double A is where the Rangers, you know, at least you're going to see probably a couple of guys that are going to be big time stars one day. The USFL, you're probably not going to see any big time stars, but. You know, it, it, maybe it's it's more comparable to like just single A baseball, but it's got a, even even rookie level ball has people that show up and enjoy watching it. <laughs> no, dude, it, it's because it becomes the atmosphere. You know, for me, that's what it's like baseball. Baseball is a good time to hang out. You, the game is the yeah. backdrop, but it's slow enough that you're having conversations and you're doing this, you're doing that, you're eating, you're talking, you're having a good time. And oh, well, let's see, bases loaded, two out. Let's see what's going on. Yeah, it's unfortunate that they didn't, you know, the tickets are so cheap. I was hoping that the venue protective stadium, which is, like I said, a brand new stadium, they built it for the UAB Blazers. And I was hoping that maybe the USFL would have more affordable concession prices, but it was right. still like 10 bucks for a beer. And I was like, nah, I'm out. <laughs> like a flight for that. Well, that and the fact that, I mean, if you're asking me to pay 10 bucks for like a generic beer, I'm not doing it. When I can go to a brewery and get a really nice beer, I, I just I just can't do it. Yeah, but you're in the minority. I'm in the very minority. Like they kept asking me, they're like, you sure you don't want anything? I was like, nope. <laughs> it's the principle of the thing, man. I'm not I'm not paying for this. And I, you know, I don't want to I'm not going to eat it anyway. So. Like, I'm not one of those people who goes to a baseball game or anything is like, oh, I got to get the nachos. It's like, I never eat nachos like that anyway. Why do I need them at a game? I don't know. <laughs> That's just how I feel about it. Did you watch any of it at all? Any of the USFL? Hell no. I'm a football snob. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, speak into the mic again. I'm a football snob. Okay. Thank you. I heard you say that, uh, but it sounded like you had fallen into a cave and I was worried. <laughs> no, although uh, my friend Calvin Watkins was watching it and was trying to tell me about it, and I was just like, bruh. I think Chill watched a little bit of it. He was tweeting about some of it. <laughs> we'll have to ask him. Uh, yeah, but no, nah, you know, bro, I just, yeah, you know. Yeah. Can't do it. So there it is. All in all, that's my report. And that is another fantastic version of Jam Session. We'll talk to you again. Later this week, as we start gearing up, we'll do another draft machine coming up. We got Tard Archer on the way, and we'll figure out who the Cowboys are going to take and why they will force another receiver. I wonder if they'll force this receiver. What was Alvin Harper's number? Where they just force him to start wearing the Alvin Harper 80. number? Yeah. <laughs> where they're like, okay, CD is our Michael Irvin. We need you to be our Alvin Harper. You're wearing 80. <laughs> I don't think so, bro. I'm surprised they don't do that. <laughs> Alvin Harper was an important, integral part opposite Michael Irvin. Yeah, he was. Uh, the, the thing about Alvin Harper is nobody figured out that he was a sidekick, man. Yeah. As soon, as soon as he went to Tampa on that big deal, he just did nothing. Yeah, they didn't realize he's a perfect number two when when you have Emmett Smith, Jay Novacek, and Michael Irvin on your offense. He's gonna he's going to excel, bro. And uh, he made some big plays with the Cowboys, but he was always a number two. And uh, now he he took the money, and that was smart of him, but. Uh, you know, bro, 
<laughs> that's the trick about these receivers, bro. Who's in the, and we're about to find that out with CD Lamb. That's why it's so fascinating. Who's the real number one and who's the two? Yeah, we are about to find that out, and hopefully CD Lamb is a real number one. Bro. They're banking bro, on it. Was, dog. Like none other. Thanks for listening to the Jam Session Podcast. Make sure to find us on Instagram at Jam Session Cast. Of course, you can also find us on Twitter at McMatt Radio and at JJT underscore journalist. Our podcast is sponsored by Greening Law, a personal injury law firm in Dallas, Texas. Greening Law fights the legal battle so you'll have time for healing and renewal. Give them a call at 972-934-8900. Greening Law, Office, Dallas, Texas. As always, thanks to Purple Elephant Music for the music you hear at the end and the beginning of each episode. He, of course, is the radio, TV, and now podcast star, the sexy Jean-Jacques Taylor. And me, I'm just a guy, Matt McLaren. We'll catch you next time right here on the Jam Session Podcast, available everywhere you listen to podcasts.